Tom called me, Tom Keegan, nice to do an audition for him. So I'm really chuffed. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. So if you were to get that, would you then go ahead and fly out to LA? No, he's doing it in Paris. Oh, really? Because he works in Paris. He works in Sweden. He works in London, and he works in LA. And I never leave my bedroom closet. <laughs> Something's wrong with this picture. <laughs> Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Let's talk. Diane Weller is worldwide, literally worldwide. Living in Australia and Europe and working everywhere around the world, Diane's talents are found on camera, on stage, and on mic as a singer and voice actor. Her career includes film, TV, radio drama, commercials, animations, documentaries, narrations, and audiobooks. She invented her career after graduating from theater school in Sydney, worked in Australia, decided to reinvent herself, moving to the UK and working in theater, contemporary opera, and musical theater there. And because, well, third time's a charm, Diane worked her way across the rest of Europe and ended up reinventing herself yet again in Brussels, with a focus this time on voice acting, among other things. When people ask what they should do to become a voice actor, we usually tell them to become an actor, then learn to express yourself with your voice. And that's exactly what Diane has done. She recorded her first voiceover job for Nokia in Brussels, and regularly she's in commercials, corporate, e-learning, ADR, dubbing, animation, video games, and mocap. Her global perspective has led Diane to bring talented coaches to Brussels, building the European voiceover community outside of the UK so that our industry can grow and prosper together everywhere. A lifetime of work? Too much to mention here. But we want to know more. So let's talk voiceover, Diane Weller. Hi, guys. Hey. <laughs> that was a long introduction. Bloody hell. <laughs> it was. And, and, and you know, because you've done so much and you, you've had this amazing ability and I think we all do to some degree, especially those of us who are in the creative fields, right? Mm. We start off with one path and then we kind of shift and change and we move to another path and then we kind of shift and change and move to another path. Yeah. And I think that that's a, you know, I think you have to be open and willing to do that to be able to evolve as the business evolves. I think you also have to be curious, you know. Like, first of all, you have to love what you do. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't be doing it, you know, you wouldn't continue to be doing it, as well as the fact that your curiosity and what the, what the voice can offer you in all the palettes that it gives you, from a vocal perspective, as far as like a singing perspective is concerned, you know, I mean, I've done everything from classical right through to extreme voice, both in, you know, performance on stage and recording and stuff like that. But also as far as um, what speech voice can do for you as far as voiceover and all the other kind of things that come with audio drama or video games or animation or whatever. I mean, there's so many facets to what we can achieve with our vocal dexterity that I think that's, for me, one of the most interesting things of, of like continuing to discover what is available to you and what you can keep working on to, to, to improve that. You know, that's such a good point. And you're not the first person to talk about curiosity being a real trigger in helping to advance someone's career. Yeah. Because I think that that is where, I mean, that's where our creativity starts from, right? Is the yeah. curiosity of it all. Yeah, yeah. So was that what drove you to not only shift your career across different aspects of performance and acting, but also 
across geographies around the world? Um, yes and no, I have to say. I mean, some of it's out of necessity, you know, like, I mean, when I moved to Brussels, I moved to Brussels because I actually fell in love with somebody. And, um, and his career, because he's in the film industry based here in Brussels, uh, it was easier for me to move here than for him to move to the UK, where I was based at the time. And because it's so close, you know, it's easy to go backwards and forwards. I mean, the Eurostar is probably the best train in the world. It's super quick. It's great. You, you blink and you're in, in London, you know, so it doesn't really feel like you're away. Um, and Randy can vouch for that because he's been over here with me not so long ago and it's it's super easy. You know, it's even easier than, than UK residents living in the country having to go to London to do jobs. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know that it's the best train in the world, but it's certainly <laughs> the best train I've ever been on. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it is amazing how you're sitting in your seat and it's almost like you're on a couch and you're yeah. just kind of watching the countryside whiz by while you're doing your work on your laptop or having a beer or whatever. Mm. And um, and you're right. And it's like, you know, you watch the trains in the rest of England and how kind of rickety they are by comparison. <laughs> you know? Shh, don't tell anyone. But I mean, as far as the voiceover thing was concerned, I was always interested in doing it, you know, because obviously we studied it at drama school and and I'd been doing a lot of Estedfords when I was young. Now, an Estedford is kind of like a competition. You do dance and drama and all different things. Um, and I did a lot, a lot of recital stuff with my voice, you know, sort of poetry reading, script reading, all these kinds of things. And I really love that as part of the drama content other than just doing scenes. And I really liked the narration part of it. I found it really um, something that was very close to me. So doing voiceover, I mean, I felt like I've kind of already always been doing that in some kind of way, like, you know, from when I was young. So it wasn't such a stretch, but... Yeah, when I got to the UK, I was very focused on 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 film and theatre more so than doing voiceover. I think I got one job there, and I wouldn't even recommend like putting it on my CV. It was so crappy. But um, I was working for radio drama in the BBC at some point, and I just loved what they were doing in the audio dramas. You know, that for me was as an actor giving you such an opportunity to really act, and because you know that you need the skill base to be able to, to sell that. Audioly, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, table reads. I love doing table reads of scripts. Yeah. For exactly that same reason, because you are able to act, but if you can bring your vocal skills and your audio abilities to that, it enriches everything. And well written radio drama yeah. is worth its weight in gold as far as being able to translate over an audio only medium. Yeah, totally. I totally get you on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm totally in agreement. Well, and you're doing that uh, thing for the BBC now, right? Dan Dare? Yeah, that's on now. Yep. Yeah, that's that's awesome, I have to say. Um, so Andrew Mark Sewell is a very brilliant producer-director. I've worked on, uh, with, on a couple of productions with him. And Dan Dare was a life project for him. So he really wanted to do this very famous comic. I think it started in 1930s or something like this. And it's kind of like, if you can imagine, um, 007 in space, kind of. <laughs> that sounds cool. Yeah, it's wicked. It's really great. I, I re recommend anybody. It's, uh, it's on Big Finish Productions. You can go and buy it and download it. But it's also on Radio 4 on Sunday nights at the moment, um, BBC Radio 4, and on iPlayer. And yeah, it's a really great series. So we've done two series and I think it's commissioned to do a third, but uh, just waiting to find out. I think this at the in, in the fall, we should be doing another one. How many actors are involved with that? Um, 
Altogether, I think there's quite a few because there's the main cast, which are three, mm-hmm. and then there's incidental characters who come in every episode. So, you know, there's I'm, I'm playing Anastasia, the spaceship, and then there's other people doing, and I think I did some missile control and mission control and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's the Mekons, the nasty characters, and then there's one guy who's doing the main character, which I've forgotten his name. Oops. <laughs> um, and then there's other characters that come in there as well. So, yeah, so it's variant, variant actors. But, you know, it's a, it's a stable of actors that he uses for productions. He, us- he, he has quite a, a number of people that he's, he's been working with in the past that I know of, mm-hmm. and he works with them quite regularly. Doesn't that make it so much more fun when you get the opportunity to work with a consistent cast or a consistent stable of actors? Christopher Guest is awesome at doing that in all of his films. Yes. And actually, when you get into it and you really start to study it, most directors do have their stable of actors, right? Scorsese has his stable that he always pulls from, and, you know, it was always the... The Italians. Nero and and all those guys, and and then all the... Joe Pesci. Yeah, and then Daniel Day-Lewis moved into it, and then Leonardo DiCaprio moved into his stable while some of the other ones started to move out, right? Well, the Coen Coen brothers, you know. Coen brothers. brothers Yep. Tarantino, Woody Allen. Yep, 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 yep. But it's so fun because once you really get to understand and relate to those actors, not only as actors, but also as people, it breaks down those barriers and it makes working together so much quicker, so much easier. And your performances are so much better when all is said and done. Yeah, yeah. Because you've got some, you're on a plane already. You know know exactly how it's going to be. You know what you're working towards. You know the relationship. Sometimes you don't even need to say it. You just feel it, you know? Absolutely. That, those are my favorite, right? And yeah. When I, when I did move out to L.A. at one point, um, that's what I tried to do is, is establish a couple of different circles, right? Mm-hmm. And I always called them the circles. And, and depending on which circle I worked in, almost everything I did ended up being one of three circles that I kind of fit with these people or these people or these people. And yeah. it just makes it so much easier to work your way all the way through that. And where did you come from originally, Brian? Um, I was born in Chicago and grew up in Indianapolis. I moved out to L.A. probably 15, 18 years ago, something like that. Okay. I had been out in L.A. and in New York when I was in my early 20s and then uh, right around 40 again. um, I was back out in L.A. for a second time. Okay. And uh, since then, I moved to Austin. I keep following Randy around. (laughs) Indianapolis and Austin, and uh, I don't think I'm going to follow him anymore. I moved to Nashville not too long ago, so. um, Oh, you're gonna you're gonna start learning Spanish, Mister. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about transitions and reinventing yourself. Yeah, I'm going to be spending some time in Mexico because I really want to teach myself Spanish fluency because I really want to be directing in Spanish. And I don't think I can do it unless I immerse myself and kind of get into the culture and really just learn Spanish. But also we have the advantage of being able to be by the Caribbean for a bit. So, And that doesn't suck. No, it doesn't <laughs> suck. <laughs> well, I was going to say, that's that, how far off is that from your story, Diane? Well, yeah, it's very, very similar. We've had a conversation about this, you know. I totally take my hat off to, to you, Randy, for doing it because I think it's a, such a good idea. Like, you know, hey, guys, like you said at the beginning of the show, you're in your cabin half the time. but So your cabin can be any bloody where 
in the world. It can. You know, that's the beauty of voiceover. You can be anywhere. We've got the technology now to Skype, to Zoom, to IPDTL, whatever, whatever, you know, with your clients. And so you can be global. And I think that's what's really interesting about the voiceover market for the moment. One job I did, my director was in Thailand, the other actor was in Michigan, and I was in Brussels, you know? Nobody's sleeping. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was just brilliant. So why not? Yeah, I agree. If you don't physically have to be there, and in any case, you know, you can take a plane. It's not that big a deal. Sure. Well, you you know, 20 years ago, it was less than 20 years ago. It was more like 12 years ago. But when I first started working on the Barbie games, we had a couple actors that were in Malaysia. And we had some others that were certainly in places like Canada, but also one that was in London. And while this all makes a lot of sense now, I just remember then that's kind of when a lot of this started for me because... We did get on Skype, and that's really what started me truly directing on Skype. It's like, you know, these people are 12 time zones away, mm. and it doesn't matter, you know? No. And I never saw them. I never had to. They were very directable. We got a great rapport. So, yeah, it's been possible for a long time, but it's really interesting to me how many people still have a difficult time getting their heads around it. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's those people who haven't actually experienced how you can do this. And quite honestly, business is turning that way, too. There's getting to be less and less of a need to be in a physical office. So many people I know, they they live by Zoom or Skype or join me or whatever. You know, they they, they live by the video conference. Yeah. And half the cafes have like these places set up for people who want to get out of their house and go and, you know, have a communal sort of workspace. But yet they have a company that they work for. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Co-working spaces are really big. Right. So between co-working spaces and even if you are an at-home worker, if you end up spending four or five hours a day in meetings with people and it's all over video conferencing, it feels like you're in the office. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. How about our mutual friend, Todd Nevins, who was also here in Austin? He and his wife are now literally living as global nomads. They're currently in Mexico, but they're going places for like four weeks at a time, five weeks at a time. And that's exactly what he does. Yeah, his office is where he can get signal. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Effectively, right? Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. And with, with those of us voiceover people who have spent a lifetime trying to build the pillow fort, right, or yeah. figuring out how to, how to uh, create the right acoustic environment to be able to record from virtually anywhere, yeah, that really is the biggest limitation is do I have signal? Exactly. Yes. Yep. That's all it is. That's it. I mean, yep. that, and, and the great thing is that you've now got, you know, basically companies who are selling those little constructions as well, which are really quite reasonable. So you can pack it up in your bag and just put it in your bag with your mics and stuff and off you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah with your laptop, it's super easy. Absolutely. Well, and, the la- and that's the other side of this is that we now have laptops. And for that matter, even though I don't think they're quite up to speed yet, but we're getting close to having mobile devices that can put out finished quality audio. Yeah. Uh, and once you get to that point where your phone becomes your digital audio workshop, man, I think it's your imagination that limits you at that point. You want to go somewhere, go do it. Yeah. How many people do we know that literally plug in a microphone into their iPhone and record from their car because the car has enough soundproofing and ceiling for a comfort purpose that it, it will work fairly well as long as you're not on a busy road. If you pull off on a side street somewhere and it's not, it's, there's not too much going on around it. It's not bad for a, 
makeshift soundproof booths. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're not there yet, but within the next couple of years, we will get to the spot where, at least for some things, I think that's an acceptable form of recording and an acceptable form of final quality audio. If you can get that environment to be that way, mm. uh, maybe not in your car, but you can use your phone, like I said, as, as your DAW instead of, you know, I got to go out and I got to buy... Pro Tools or Audacity or Audition or whatever, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you can still do that. You just download it on your phone. The limiting thing right now is actually a microphone and a preamp to get you a a good enough actual input. Sound quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but there's plenty around, you know, you just have to shop around. Yeah. I know Sissy's got a good one that goes into a phone. Yeah, she does. She does. Yeah, you can can get those preamps that have a... Uh, a micro USB plug on the other side of it or an mm-hmm. iPhone plug on the other side of it. And some of them even have phantom power. So you yeah. can take a decent mic, plug it into your phone, use something like a Twisted Wave or whatever, and truly have a completely portable and mobile. And the the other piece that I'm really desperately looking forward to is 5G connectivity. Oh, yeah. Because 5G mm. connectivity will give us 100 megabytes or more anywhere you are. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. And that all of a sudden truly allows you to be completely nomadic with what you do. Well, you know, the other thing is, is that I've got a Google Fi phone. And the story for why I got that was I was in St. Petersburg, Russia, and uh, my phone was functionally a doorstop because I couldn't get anything. Mm -hmm. And I could only get wireless when I was in the hotel room. And I couldn't get wireless anywhere else because the way that they give you your wireless password is through... SMS, and it's like, well, if you don't have a cell phone signal, you can't get text messages. Yeah. So oh, that must have been a really small door if your phone was a doorstop. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. It was a light door. It was a very <laughs> it was light a door. Very light. Well, it was a screen door. That's all it, was. <laughs> it was a screen door. But um, a, a guy that I was over there with had a Google Fi phone, and he was literally just like he was back in the States. And uh, so I came home, we got Google Fi phones, and it's amazing. Like, even when I was on the Eurostar, every time we changed countries, it's like my phone would go dark for about a minute, and then it would come back up, you know, like, welcome to France, go dark, come back up, welcome to England, and it just works. The other thing is, is that you were the one who told Brian to get Uma, so we've had Uma for years. I've got Uma on my phone, so I can get calls on my quote-unquote landline that's not even a landline. and It's it, a voice over IP, yeah. It's VOIP, and it shows up on my cell phone. So... I don't even have to come up with new phone numbers. <laughs> just Right. You can truly be whoever you are from wherever you happen to be at the moment, right? You right. don't have to change things. You don't have to set up new systems and technologies and all that. Right. From that mm. perspective, technology is making that part of it great. It's making life easier. It really is. Of course, we've talked about the flip side of that, right? And that's when we start to believe that anyone can do this or even that with uh, some of the new AI that's out. And uh, I saw some app and I can't remember which one it was. And you can create virtually any kind of text and it converts it to speech in anybody's voice. Oh, God. It was really it was amazing and scary at the same time. It was just a demo. So I don't know what work they actually did. Right. But the demo had President Obama saying some stuff, and then it had President Trump saying some stuff. It was amazing because it it wasn't machine. It wasn't stilted. It actually had some variance and some expression. I mean, obviously, it's not as much as um, a live actor can provide. Yeah. But for a lot of things, it was like, wow, I'm shocked at how far, how fast it's all moved. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's frightening. I have to say, for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just, 
it's a shift like anything mm. else, right? I mean, it's the same thing with autonomous cars and a cab driver. Mm. It's frightening unless you figure out how to use that and adapt with that because it's not going to go away. It's only going to get better. Right. I think that the, the, the threats that I see on that, though, true acting like the stuff like the Dan Dare stuff, like mm. uh, the video game stuff that you just did. Yeah, um, that's going to. Yeah, be, you're not going to replace that. Not yet. Not anyway, but it's the instruction manual stuff, you know, which has been a real moneymaker for a lot of people for a long time. It's, mm. That's the stuff that I see that's going to be really threatened. Yes. Well, and the other thing that um, someone someone on the thread that I saw actually brought it up it said, and said, it's not going to have that great of an effect on real actors, but it's going to kill the Fiverr industry. That oh, yippee. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, uh, you know, look for the silver lining um, and right. then figure out how to adapt to the new technology. Because, again, it's not going away and it's only going to get better over time. So let's figure out what that means and how we can use that to our advantage. Yeah, because essentially, you know, when you have an actor who's doing those jobs anyway, they're always going to be giving a, a level of depth that you won't be able to get from that, I'm sure. I mean, I'd be very Absolutely. surprised to see what the result would be. But, you know, there's always the second, third approach to the text that you're looking at and you're always trying to get something more or something deeper out of it. So you're trying for newer truths, you know what I mean? And I don't think a machine's going to do that so easily. No. No, not at all. I mean, a machine can only do what it learns from examples. Yeah, right. exactly. And and so, I mean, I guess you could eventually program a machine to give you six reads of the same line. But at what point a, a human still needs to make that decision, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because that's the creative control and that's what makes something human. It's not mm -hmm. just having the right bits and bits and bites. It's but that's the... really important that what you what you say now because you know I had a direction from somebody like not so long ago, and the direction was really vague. Now the person who was directing me obviously didn't quite know how to impart what they wanted um, very succinctly. Let's say. And so you you as an actor are always kind of second guessing what they're saying and trying to re-clarify that back so that you can give them exactly sure. what they're wanting. And and that is the difficulty when the person who's trying to, you know, program a computer to say, listen, we want uh, such and such and such and such, but they don't really know exactly what they want. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to come out, you're going to probably get a lot of conflicting, you know, reads back at you. And then you're going to go, no, that's not what I wanted. Well, and here's the other side of it, right? It's being sold as a time-saving device and a money-saving device. Maybe not. But if it gives you so many options that you have to spend a ridiculous amount of time trying to piece each single part together, right? Yeah. then really there's no value, there's no savings, and it's easier to use a person just to knock it out. Yeah. Because it's easier to communicate with a person and get that understanding than it is to really work that through a machine. You're a professional, so you've been dealing with this your whole career. So you know how to take that information that people are asking you and you're able to process that quite quickly. I mean, that's your right. job because you have, yep. what, an hour in the booth or whatever? Yeah, or whatever. Whatever right. the time is, sure. Whatever yeah. your time is. So you don't have time to be second-guessing, pondering, re-questioning, blah, 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 blah. You've got to get to the point. Well, here's an interesting thought that that makes me think of. This may sound a little convoluted, but... Is it possible that we get to a point where you as an actor also are working with a machine because you know what it's going to require? And somebody who's just a programmer, you know, it's kind of like playing music. They may think that they know what they want, but they don't actually know how to 
get it and they'll make mm. very stereotypical choices whereas you as an actor might be able to get in there and really quickly go like yeah it needs to come up here it needs to do this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know the other side of that is to say well if you're going to do that why don't you just be an actor well maybe it's not your voice it's not in your range it's not your style but now you as an actor can say i know how to produce this yeah right just thinking that could be a really interesting blend of the of the two well, it's what you're talking about. How can you make that? How can you make something of it? You know, that's one one way of doing it. Right. Well, not only that, I think, um, especially in things like video games, right, um, where you have NPCs, mm-hmm. the NPCs yep. might be the machine voice, and yeah, the actor would be uh, a live actor, right? And so, I think it's something that we should all be keeping our eye on. We should all be paying attention to, and we should all be figuring out how it works. And how to work with it. Yeah. Because I don't think that's a far-fetched scenario. No, it's smart advice. Mm. Or even this. You could be inputting your voice and acting into the machine and allowing that machine then to spit out a different voice. So you could be, Diane, doing a 75-year-old male wizard. Yeah. You're still acting. You're still putting that in. But it's following your inflections and your timing and your everything else. Yeah. So it's a shift in the way you do characters. Yeah. Effectively. So then you really can do anything. Right. The thing that I always find in directing actors who are trying to do characters, and especially multiple characters in the same game, is being able to change your inflection, your intonation, and those things that are natural and normal to you. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest thing that people deal with when they're trying to do multiple characters in the same game or the same project, right? Absolutely. Because we all have cadence, we all have tendencies, we all have habits, we all have things that are unique to our own voice pattern. Mm -hmm. And to be able to consciously modify that to the point where it sounds like a completely different person is a very, very difficult skill to master. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. Something I don't think you've ever told me uh, if you have, I, I was drinking, so I apologize. Um, <laughs> so that means you probably told it. Well, am I going to remember? <laughs> I don't know. Depends on if you were drinking with him or just watching him drink. <laughs> I was definitely drinking with him. <laughs> Damn, there you go. I'm an Aussie man. <laughs> so this will be new to both of us. What made you leave Australia and go to the UK in the first place? Oh, uh, boredom, actually. Um yeah, you know, I'd, I've moved from... So I grew up in a small country town, a surfy town in um, in Australia called Coffs Harbour. And then as soon as I was 17, I wanted to get out and go to drama school. And I tried to get into drama school, but I was kind of like a big fish in a small pond type of thing. Mm-hmm. And when I um, applied, I got a call back at one of the big ones in Sydney, and then I didn't get in. And I was kind of like, what? I thought my life was mapped out for me, you know? And then I sort of like went, shit, what am I going to do now? So I worked in normal jobs, like doing stuff in offices and various other jobs, which I totally hated. And then I started doing classical singing and started doing that as a career and then realized it wasn't really for me. I didn't really want to go down the road of being an opera singer, even though I could have if I wanted to focus on it. But um, I really wanted to go back to drama and I really missed doing drama and musical theater and all that sort of stuff that I'd been doing. So I reapplied and then I went to drama school when I was 25. And then when I finished, I was 27, I think, when I graduated. So I'd been living in Sydney nearly 10 years. And I stayed for like a year or so working. And I just got this bee in my bonnet about like, you know, the world that I have never been in, you know, outside of Mm -hmm. Australia. 
back to that curiosity thing, right? Yeah. What's it like on the other side of the planet, you know? So I kind of sold everything at a market and bought a ticket and then went to London with very limited funds and thought, okay, I'm not coming back till I make a success of my life. (laughs) (laughs) That was quite a challenge. Um, Yeah, and so then I persevered and luckily I worked temping at one of the uh, big television companies, ITV, and uh, I was working for the drama department and I showed them a showreel of mine and then they said, oh, that's really good. You should go and speak to the casting person. So they hooked me up and sent me off to some agents and I got an agent there and then sort of started to get work and stuff in the UK. But yeah, it wasn't easy being an unknown Australian, you know, usually you have to come from a soap opera or being a famous Aussie before you're going to break into the market there. It was really challenging. And you were doing a lot of film back in Australia, right? I did. I I did my first film when I was 20. Um, Mm -hmm. Whoa. Yeah, long one. That was with Nicole Kidman and Naomi Watts and Noah Taylor and a whole bunch of other people. Oh, my gosh. The whole Aussie crew, huh? Yep. The Aussie crew. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, yeah, but that was like my first foray into film and I was a little green a little bit nervous, and I was kind of like, ooh, and I felt like, wow, you know, because they were all quite big stars back then. And still today. Yeah, yeah, they've had a good yeah. career. Um, I was still singing at the time, so I was going like, what am I doing with my life? You know, do I want this side or that side? I've always been torn between the music side and the and the drama side, so... And I think I really made my decisions later when I went to drama school that that's what I really wanted to focus on. So were you ever like, what the hell am I doing when you, when you made the Oh, leak? my God. Are you kidding me? That's a constant. <laughs> <laughs> Even today, right? I mean, it is for me. I'll tell you that. Yeah, sure. We all do that, don't we? Well, you know, Brian and I were having a conversation before this earlier this morning because, you know, we, we're both bored and we have no lives. So we talk to each other all the time. We have no lives. So we just keep talking to each other <laughs> incessantly because there's no one else that'll listen. So, yeah. Oh, can I join you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 9 a.m. every morning. Woohoo! Okay, we're going to check the time zones. Yeah, we can tell the old stories because, you know, we got a new audience, got fresh yeah, meat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the advantage of having Alzheimer's. <laughs> every, every story is new and fresh. <laughs> Shh. Don't be telling everybody your age, darling. <laughs> uh, too, late, too late for that. <laughs> I, think we, I think we blew that one in episode one. Oh, oh, Jesus, I missed that one. I'll have to go back. Yeah, well, so did yeah. everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> With the mocap stuff, because I know that's something that you're kind of focused on and that you're doing more of. Yeah. Just tell me about mocap when it comes to voice acting, because, uh, you know, how much are you concentrating on the voice? Is it because you came from a theater background and a film background? You don't. It's a good question. And no, I don't, because... It's so much about acting. It's really funny. It's like drama school day one type thing. You know, you've got, you've got your scenes, you've got your characters, and you've got this mapping and these really weird constructions that are your, your set. Mm-hmm. And so the truth of the scenes really is relying on your acting ability. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's so strong about mocap for me as a performer that I really loved about it was the fact that you're going back to the, the rawness of, of having to really pull it off, you know, and and to use your skills. Whereas, you know, if you're on camera and you're doing, you know, television, it's different because you've got all the rest of the stuff going on and, you know, you've got your look that you've made and 
You see what I mean? Like, you know, with the oh, makeup, yeah. the costumes. Yeah, blah, everything blah, blah, blah. else helps set the scene. But it's, it seems like mocap is, is very cool because it brings you back to your first acting class, right? Yeah. When you're doing a scene and you're on a bare stage and yeah. the only thing that's there are three or four black cubes. Yeah. And you get to use those as your imaginary set and you can make those cubes anything you want. Yes. Right? Yes. It's How so cool. exciting. How cool. How cool. It's amazing. Think about, oh, my God, let's go back to my imagination. Or my very first acting class when I was a kid. Yeah. It's awesome, you know, because it's your imagination. So your environment is what you're making right then and there. So that's what's so exciting because it's really affecting what you're doing and it's affecting your acting. And, of course, everything's being picked up from there. Mm -hmm. So it's not like theatre at all. It's much more like film right. in a way, you know. So your 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 uh, your vocal ability is 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 relying on that, the subtleties of it. So you've got theater, which of course can be big sweeping motions and projection with your voice. You have film and TV, which can even be so ridiculously subtle that you know you move your head to the wrong way. It's like you're overacting. Yeah. Well, it's a blink or an eye move that actually gets you on on film or TV. Right. Mm. Mm. And I and I think that the interesting thing about mocap is that it's developed to the point because remember early mocap, I mean, you had maybe 10 sensors, right? Yeah. Now you're completely covered and, you know, every wrinkle and every part of your face. I mean, how yeah. many sensors do you have just on your face alone? Nevertheless, mm. when you put the body into it and everything else. So, again, talk about evolution of technology changing the way we do stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you're 360 degree. Yeah. Yeah, that's true too. You know, so you don't have to worry about, did I move my head too far to the left or the right? Mm-hmm. So you've kind of like all around you and you don't think, you're not thinking so much about that. So would you put it more in the realm? I know it's a different thing, but more in the realm of theater as opposed to, to film? No, I wouldn't actually. I would just call it mocap. You know, it's 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 mm -hmm. its own beast. It's its own thing. Yeah. 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 It's its own thing, and you you need to know about it. You know, I mean, I did training in it for a while, and I think that's really necessary because it is different. Mm -hmm. Even if you're a theatre trained, and I and I worked with a lot of theatre trained actors when I did my training, and um, all of us were learning. You know, we were learning the craft of motion capture, which is different to all the others. Absolutely. You know, if you're taking yourself seriously, you need to go and do that training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, even even the action and the guns and all that stuff, because you're not carrying a real gun, but you've got to feel the weight of a real gun to know exactly what that is when you're when you're doing motion capture, because you're holding, you know, wood or plastic or whatever. But it's got to feel like that, and you've got to, you sense it and you see it in the body and you see it in the animation that they they pick up off you. Have you done any any weapons training? Just yeah, yeah, yeah. We did it with an SAS guy. An ex-SAS guy. They have, uh, well, the training company that I worked with was Mocap Vaults in the UK. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they said they have a guy on staff who comes and does um, action and combat and teaches you how to do everything. And fortunately, one of the class members was in the army. So he was teaching us a whole bunch of stuff. I was going to say, talk about authenticity. Yeah, it was awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was really great. We really lucked out. We had such a great group. I'm kind of looking at the future of mocap, too, because it is so weapons heavy. Or maybe mocap is moving out of the, well, it's Call of Duty, so let's do it. You know, that kind yeah. of thing, where it's moving into other things. Do you see it moving into non-weaponized, more, I'll call it, straight drama? 
Uh, yeah, I do. I do see it going that way. And personally, that's what I would prefer to be doing, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't want, want to just do that kind of work. I mean, I want to do drama, personally. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's my focus. I mean, I see that there's a necessity for it and a market for it and all that stuff, and that's great. Um, But personally, for me, I'm more a drama person, so I want to do those kinds of scenes where it's, you know, drama-based without having to worry too much about the the extra baggage you have to carry around. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what happens when we no longer shoot live action? Instead, we shoot mocap that is used sometimes in video games, sometimes in TV programs or films. Mm -hmm. And we get accustomed as a culture to watching our entertainment that may be a real person or may be computer generated through those kinds of techniques. And then, you know. Just think about Ready Player One. Yeah. 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 Have you seen Ready Player One? Yeah, I have. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. It really was. It was a fantastic film to show those mediums together. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And and you I know? think that that convergence, we've talked about the convergence and my mind first started going to convergence when I was coming out of high school and starting my, my freshman year in college. I was a theater major mm-hmm. and I thought, wouldn't it be cool if you could actually have moving backgrounds? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, this was so long ago. This was before projectors were a yeah. consumer item. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so a home video projector um, didn't exist. And then I taught theater at a high school in the 90s, and we were able to get our hands on a projector from Japan Mm -hmm. and use it for motion backgrounds. Mm. We used it for The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. yeah. And when the wizard's head appears, you know, 15 feet tall or 20 feet tall, we actually did that with a projector. And it was so cool, right? So it was. It was convergence is always a thing that I think that it's not a technology issue, can we? It's a social activity of are we ready to accept that yet, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we watch we watch Twitch. Yeah. People watch Twitch for hours on end, right? Mm-hmm. So you're okay watching people play video games without having to actively be involved yourself. Mm-hmm. At what point does that just translate into that's the way entertainment is made? Well, I think it's going down that way, to be honest with you. Very quickly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. really quickly. But I think what's really interesting, I mean, I was at Gamescom last year, no, the year before last, and I was hanging out with the Swiss group. And I met these really amazing games designers who had actually made a video game with real people. So it was like a film. Oh, my gosh. It was amazing. So you, you, I got to play it as well. So they had, you know, you had you could put it on your iPhone, download this app on your iPhone, mm-hmm. and then you would watch a sample of the film. And it was so beautifully made. It was a heist movie, you know, a heist story. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. for instance, there was a, a girl who goes to, she's in a garage. She goes to the concierge to go and get the keys to her car. And he says something to her. And does she take the keys, yes or no? Mm-hmm. The interactive film. Yeah, the interactive film. How cool. We talked about that too. Yeah, and so you would, you know, as an individual or as a group, because what they did with it was they sold it to a whole bunch of film festivals around the world. Interesting. What I found really interesting about that was the fact that you would be in a hall of people and all of you are making a decision on the action of the movie and the majority wins. Right. Right. So if it's yes, that's the action of the of the movie. That's the way it will go. Mm-hmm. But if it's no, then it goes in that direction. But I found that whole thing about choice and community a very interesting facet to think about. 
Well, they've been trying to do that for 30 years or more, maybe, and it's never caught on. But I wonder if the reason that it's never caught on is because it's it's still been such an alien concept to people. And now as we get more and more into video games and having electronics or having computer-generated images as real people and real beings, I wonder if now that kind of description of how you could watch a movie or how this could go now becomes it's more acceptable. Yeah, totally. I think it's totally going in that that direction. We're fools to think that it's going to stay stagnant as it what it was because hey, I mean, how many people are playing video games and how beautiful are they? How advanced are they now? Yep. You know, I mean, they, they have so many options of storylines. I had another friend of mine who's a voiceover from the UK who did a beautiful story about loss. And he was playing, I think the story is called Fragments of Me. And uh, the actor's name is Jay Britton. And he, he was playing the main character in that, that video game. And the video game is all about the fact that he lost his gay partner. So it's all a, a story about those issues. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that video games is going in directions of. It's helping people in psycholo- psychological issues, not only just the thing about, you know, action. That's why I think video games is really opening up to many, many, many areas and facets that, that is important for us to look at socially. Mm-hmm. Well, and that reminds me of uh, a company that you work with, Randy, that does educational and uh, training curriculum. Right, right. Absolutely. And again, they follow the same kind of game-based behaviors. And yeah. so... If we continue to embrace game behaviors in our entertainment, then the the laggard that's going to have to come come into the fold is going to end up being movies, right? Mm-hmm. And you will have interactive movies. And the cool part about that is you'll be able to watch the same movie three or four or five times. Yeah, and you no longer sure. have to wonder the, the whole... You know, I didn't like that plot twist. <laughs> right? I wonder how that movie would have actually turned out. I wonder if I would have liked it more. Right. Yeah. I wonder if I would have related it to it better. Yeah. So this makes me think of another potential silver lining taking all this together. So MMOs are always doing expansions, right? That's why they're so lovely to land. They're, you know, they're the the games that keep on giving. But Mm -hmm. what if you have movies that are doing the same thing? So, uh, you know, and especially if you're using computer generated images, so you don't necessarily have to, you know, which is still an expense, but it's not necessarily the expense of building sets and getting actors together and, now the actors are voice actors and you continually are adding to the movie so what if ready player one now doesn't have three potential outcomes it's got 50 wow and they're all downloadable for an extra fee absolutely and here's another thing that could be interesting about that so if it becomes computer generated image again this is silver lining for some not silver lining for other now it really doesn't matter what you look like now you are being hired strictly because you're a good actor yeah, and because of your talents. Yeah. Because of your talent. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because yeah. the computer-generated images are going to be whatever they are. Exactly. I think that's going to be a really, really cool thing. I want to watch E.T. the Backyard Barbecue. <laughs> they actually kill him and then roast him and then, yeah. Uh, nice one. Yeah. That's the one I'm looking for. And then to. his family comes looking for him and they torch the earth. E.T. <laughs> no! How much no, more wrinkled no. could he be? <laughs> Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Fabulous conversation. My God, this is, this is, we could do this every morning at nine. Um, we could, but so. what time is that for me, guys? That could be in the uh, middle of my night. Yeah. Very, very, that. very, very fun. <laughs> so, Randall. BT. Diane. BT. 
It has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, and until yeah, next time. Thanks, see guys. Ya. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Adios. Ciao. Diane Weller is the personification of dedication and commitment to her craft. Check her out at dianeweller.com. That's two N's in Diane and two L's in Weller. You'll understand why she's so successful. Let's Talk VoiceOver is hosted by Randy Ryan, owner of Hamsterball Studios, voice, music, and sound design, and me, Brian Talbot, actor and all-around creative guy. If you have any comments, questions, ideas for other show topics that you'd be interested in hearing, or you just want to let us know what you think, you can reach out to us by sending an email to bt at letstalkvoiceover.com or go to our website at www.letstalkvoiceover.com. That's letstalkvoiceover.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk VoiceOver. We'll talk again real soon.